Hello and welcome to the Hull Libraries podcast. In this episode, we had a chat with author and poet June Wentland, who despite not being based in the city anymore, is still a proud Hull girl through and through, as you'll hear. We talked to June about making the transition from poetry to novels, her first book, Foolish Heroines, and the influence of magical realism, plus what she's been enjoying reading and some great tips for overcoming writer's block. Well, I started a long time ago, really, with writing, because my mum, uh, it seemed quite normal in our house to um, write, because my mum was a writer. Um, right. When I was a little girl, she'd, she'd always been interested in writing, and she started writing more seriously when she had a bit more time, when me and my brother were a bit older. And um, I think in those days, I think now it's a bit more sort of normal <laughs> to write. But when I was a little girl, it was seen as a little bit unusual to write. So it wasn't the sort of thing that she talked about, you know, in the supermarket and things. But in our house, it seemed a normal thing to do. And she wrote children's stories. She started to write. And then um, I think she did a course and things. And then she started to get children's stories accepted. And in those days, there was this um, group called Whole Writers Circle, which she belonged to as well. So that gave her a lot of confidence belonging to that. So I used to write sort of little stories like her and things when I was little. And then in my teens, I started writing more poetry and had a bit of success with that. And then I got married when I was very young. I was only 19 when I got married. And um, of course, everything got very busy. <laughs> and so the writing sort of fell by the wayside, really. But then I started, when my kids were slightly older, I started writing children's stories like my mum and having a bit of success with those. Um, and then I suppose the, my sort of writing career has been sort of writing a bit and then life getting in the way and then yeah. writing a bit and then life getting in the way again. And I think that's true for a lot of writers, particularly women. So I sort of had quite a long time um, after my marriage broke up and things. I had quite a long time where life sort of intervened again, where I was sort of yeah. doing different things and then really got back into uh, writing again, was trying to get back into writing again. And then when was it? About 10 years ago, when it was a Larkin 25 um, commemorations and celebrations and things. I did a project in Hull because in the meantime, I'd moved out of Hull. I sort of moved, lived in Bristol and one thing and another. Um, but I'm just such a Hull girl. <laughs> that, uh, whenever I meet anyone new, wherever it is, and they ask about me, I always say, oh, I'm from Hull. <laughs> and that's the first thing that I ever say about myself people people laugh about it no it's good to be proud of Hull I'm proud I'm from Hull I think it's quite a Yorkshire thing but I think particularly a Hull thing as well that people that are from Hull are just so proud of being from Hull really so I did a project um called the Hull Renga project um which was done it was I mean the, the main partner in that was the library service and it was funded by the James Reckitt trust and things um, and that was a great project we did it for over a year I did it with a, a colleague so I was working half the week in Bristol and half the week in Hull and that was a fantastic project because we were sort of just collecting word images from people so we'd have a table in the foyer of Hull Library and we went into all different places we sort of went into parks into East Park because East Park sort of my 
part, the part that I associate yeah. with because until I was 10, I lived in a house that backed onto East Park. I lived down Lakeview, lovely place to, to live. So we'd go there and talk to people in the cafe and one thing and another. So I had all these word images that people came out with and all these memories that people had that they were sharing with me. So, you know, widows of trawlermen and people had been... Um, you know, refugees from Hull in the Second World War and sort of thing. How were these all collated? How how did you put it all together? Um, well, it was all these sort of three um, three line or four line, three or four line images. And some of people sort of did sequences and some people it would just be the odd line. And some people we spoke to and they gave us them. And some people would write them down when we weren't there and things so it was just and it's really interesting when you do start putting them together they sort of you know bounce off each other or suddenly bounce to a completely different place and things but it really did feel like I had people's lives rattling around inside me and some people said that the memories they were sharing were things they'd never shared with people before they'd had them bottled up and you know this was an opportunity to to share them with someone at last and things. And it was that that really got me back into writing poetry again. Yeah, I think I was so um, so sort of involved in what people were telling me and things. I had all those images and it felt that like I needed to get something out on paper. Um, and I think not long after that, I um, wrote I'd written a poem which I entered into, um, I can't think what the, what the term is or whether it still happens, but it was the shorthand for it was HOD, whole, it was when you, when you can go into buildings that you wouldn't normally go into. Yeah, like the open house, I think it still runs, it's like a heritage project. That's right, yeah. yes, yeah, and one for a couple of years, I think they ran, I don't think they do it now, but for a couple of years they ran a poetry competition where you could write a poem that was somehow connected with Hull. Um, and I wrote a poem for that and it won and um, someone came and taped me reading it we went to um, what I still call the station hotel so I did a little recording of me reading. So you're not based in Hull anymore where are you? No I'm in I lived in Bristol for quite well I've lived all over I lived in Manchester for a few years and I lived in Bristol for a long time and now I'm actually in in Wiltshire. Oh lovely. But um, I come to back to Hull as as often as I as I can. I've had a number of attempts to try and move back to Hull, but um, they've not they've not worked out. Um, but yeah, I just come back as as often as I can, really. But Hull, you know, again, Hull sort of really seeps into my writing. I mean, with poems, I've had loads of poems that are inspired by Hull or the East Riding of of Yorkshire. There's a new magazine. Um, that's called Spelt, which is sort of particularly wanting to celebrate the rural lifestyle, really. And Wendy, who's the main editor for that, she lives, I think she lives just outside Filey. And um, I had a poem published in that recently as well, which was, um, it was about King Lear, because we did King Lear at school, because um, when I was in the secondary school age group, we moved out of Hull. My dad worked in at Broth. He was an yeah. aircraft fitter and we moved out to Brough to be nearer the factory and um, I went to South Hunsley school and um, 
we did King Lear, I did English literature for A-Level and we did King Lear. And because I'd never been, it's supposed to be when he's at the height of his madness, he's supposed to be wandering around on the heaths of Kent. But I had no idea what the heaths of Kent looked like. So I always imagined him sort of maybe on the North York Moors or, um, yeah. you know, at the seaside. We used to go to Alborough and places on the Holdness coast a lot. Um, and we'd sometimes go up to Filey and things as well. So I always imagined... King Lear wandering about on the beach <laughs> at Filey and things. So it was a poem, a poem about that. So yeah, loads of my poetry has been influenced by Hull and the East Riding. And also, um, you know, the novel that's just come out, Foolish Heroines, um, a park plays a very important part in the story. And really that is East Park, not surprisingly. <laughs> and um my particularly my um prose writing although it comes into my poetry a bit sometimes as well it tends to be sort of magic realism which if anyone isn't familiar with that um it's sort of set very very much in the real world but it has sort of um weird and wonderful things that you wouldn't expect to happen can happen and I think a lot of magic realism started off sort of in South America it was a sort of South American genre and then I read a lot of it in the 90s um, and I just thought I just love the idea that you can get up in the morning in a normal house down a normal you know city street or whatever yeah. and something magical and unexpected can happen and I think maybe having a house that backed onto East Park maybe was an influence in believing in magic realism as a genre because, um, you know, all I had to do was run across the 10 foot, climb over the fence. And I was in <laughs> East Park where, um, I mean, there's always, as far as I know, there's always been peacocks in East Park. Oh, I mean, yeah. there is now, and there was when I was a little girl. So, you know, you could be ill at home, you know, in those days, um, people would get measles and things and you'd have to stay in. I'd yeah. be ill at home with measles or something, having to stay in and everything would be a bit boring. And then you'd hear peacocks, hear you know, them. from across yeah. the 10 foot. And it just gave a sense of, you know, that there can be magic in your life, different in your life. So tell me more about your book. Where did you get your ideas from to actually start it? What made you want to write that story? How long did it take you? Well, it took me blooming years. <laughs> Authors always say this. <laughs> I think it took more blooming years than it takes most authors, actually, because like I say, life sort of keeps intervening. I'd never written a novel before, so I didn't really quite know how to do it. I was used to writing poems, which are really short, completely different. And I know some writers plan everything out before they write it. And that doesn't appeal to me at all because I like to sort of discover it's very much for me, it's very much sort of character driven. And I've got to write about what I'm interested in. And if I try and have had a go at writing novels that are planned and I just come to a halt because I can't decide what's important and sort of what's, you know, filling in and sort of filling out. So do you let the characters develop as you're writing and see where it takes you? Yeah, definitely. I started off with a couple of characters that were in my head. One woman called Yanina, who is in her 30s and is in a marriage. She's got two little girls. She's in a marriage and the marriage has sort of gone a bit. Um, it sort of lost its magic, really. And she's not really communicating very well 
with her husband, they've just sort of almost stopped talking to each other. Really, I suppose they've had sort of disagreements, which they've just not had the energy to sort of sort out and yeah. move on with their lives and things. So she's feeling that she needs to, you know, that she's just stuck, really. And then there's another elderly um, lady who, um, it was funny, I was thinking about it the other day, thinking I don't really know how old she is. And I always think it's a bit rude to ask people their ages. <laughs> it's a bit sort of intrusive. Yeah. So I sort of think of it as I've not really liked to ask. She's called Lily. I've not really liked to ask Lily exactly <laughs> how old she is. But I think she's probably in her 80s, really. You know, she's a very, very active person in, in her 80s. And um, her, she's lived with a very, very overbearing husband and had sort of very traditional, um, you know, division of roles in the house and things. And he doesn't, he did nothing in the house. The only thing he did in his house, they managed to keep having um, milk bottles um, delivered rather than going to plastic. And uh, the only thing that he's ever done in the house is put the milk bottles out. And he makes this massive fuss about putting the milk bottles out every morning and everything that Lily's done in comparison in the house you know all the cooking and cleaning and everything just pales to insignificance because he's done the grand putting out of the the milk bottles and um before the story starts she's newly sort of free again because her awful husband Ernest has met with a very nasty accident involving a slippery icy step and a milk bottle that shatters. <laughs> and uh, I won't all go right. into all the gory details, but um, he comes to a rather nasty, sticky and gory end. So she's on her own again and needing to sort of re-establish her own life in her own, right? Because she sort of suddenly realises that all the opinions and things she's had for the last 40 years or something have all really been earnest and she needs to rediscover that that very vital, exciting girl that she used to be in um, in, in her life now. Um, and she just sort of lets the housework go because Ernie's no longer there. She just sort of lets it go. And she starts doing all these online courses and one thing and another. And she decides to, um, the garden has always been sort of Ernest's area, but he's had a very such a strict idea about how everything should be in the garden so she lets everything go wild <laughs> in the garden <laughs> and she lets everything go wild in the house and she's got some house plants and she's not been in the dining room for months because she's taken to just eating off a tray on her lap while she listens to exciting things on the laptop and things <laughs> and when she goes into the dining room it's all changed like her husband had these bonsai trees and she she has been sort of feeding them on on plant nutrients to encourage them to grow and things and they've grown to six foot and wow. this weird green light in her house and she discovers that she's where the patio doors used to be they've sort of crumbled away and there's sort of like a forest which is kind of encroaching and coming into her dining room and things so um so you can see how it's magic realist she's you know it's a, an urban area which I'm thinking is the Airbnb, the sort of city where foolish heroines takes place is sort of, um, it's sort of like an, uh, not a real city. It's a city that's partly Hull, partly Manchester and partly Bristol. But yeah. the park is, you know, sort of East Park, which is sort of creeping into her, into her house. And she thinks that's really 
exciting that she's got a forest growing in her house, but she does also realise that she doesn't know, you know, if there's a forest, it must have other edges apart from her house. And she's sort of slightly worried about where the other edges might be and who might live there and who might wander into her house having travelled through the forest. So after this experience of writing this, do you feel like you have another one ready to go or did you find it um, more difficult than you expected because it's so different to poetry? Which do you prefer? Um, I don't know. I think, it. I mean, I find poetry is sort of, um, it's sort of easier in some ways because what I found really difficult with Foolish Heroines was that when you're writing a poem, you can sort of see the whole poem. You can yeah. see sort of how it starts and how it ends and almost like a sort of shape to it. And it's yeah. almost like a landscape. You can see the whole landscape of the poem. But with Foolish Heroines, because it's, I mean, it's not a really long novel, it's not much longer than, than you know, what a lot of people call a novella, really. It's um, 50-something thousand words. And I quite like that it's short. I quite like short novels. Um, but even though it's a short novel, I still couldn't quite see the shape of it. It took lots and lots of reading it through and through and through and editing and editing before I could actually see the whole shape of the novel. So that's that's really difficult. So I think I quite like, in some ways I prefer poetry because I do find it easier, but I do prefer the novel in other ways because it's like a long-term project that you can really, really get stuck into. So I quite like doing both at the same time, really. And if you get stuck with writing a novel, then you can sort of turn to poetry and that's quite sort of, you know, therapeutic really to get away and do something. I was going to ask, do you have something that naturally you do find a, a release or relaxing or what, you know, do you, do you write poetry or do you read poetry? Have you got a favourite author or poet? Yeah, I, I do really enjoy reading poetry. And um, I think one of my all time favourite poems is Ted Hughes, really. And I do like Philip Larkin as well. We did both at school. Um I suppose Philip Larkin was a sort of natural choice <laughs> at school with um, him having been local and everything. Um, and we did quite a lot of Ted Hughes at school. So I think because my teacher was very keen on Ted Hughes. So some of his poems, are um, they feel like, you know, they live in my head, that they're mine. And when I've had... Um, difficult times and things. We had a family tragedy when I was 16. My mum died when I was 16. She was knocked down by a car. It was a, you know, huge, huge tragic event that yeah. turned all our lives upside down. And um, my brother, first Christmas, my brother had bought me a poetry book by Ted Hughes. And a lot of that I found sort of, I could sort of really um, sort of associate what was going, what, what he was saying in the poems with, with what I was feeling at the time. He, one of his poems called Wind was very much about, um, you know, these people sitting in a house, keeping warm and everything outside, even the hills had moved. And he's sort of partly talking about a real wind, but obviously about something else as well, about yeah. momentous things happening. So... Ted Hughes has sort of really remained, it feels almost like a, his poetry feels like a friend in my head 
really. So I really like Ted Hughes and some of those poems that I came across as a teenager and things. But I love discovering new new poets as well. So sort of in more recent years, I've really liked discovering the poems of people like Emily Berry and Liz Berry and you know, a whole load of other new, younger, upcoming poets as well. It's, I really enjoy that discovery of finding new new ones do you have the same with um novels and authors and fiction or yeah I read a lot yeah I really enjoy reading um and um I really really enjoyed a few years ago it was the winner of the um Booker Prize I really enjoyed a book called the one called Milkman by Anna Burns um and there's a lot of um discussion about it at the time because it was high profile because of winning the booker prize. I can't remember what year it was it might be 2017 or 18 or something maybe a bit more recently than that and it was sort of hyped as the book that had no paragraphs <laughs> which I found a bit off-putting really and it was supposed to be very stream of consciousness sort of you know just this young girl's thoughts growing up in Northern Ireland during the times of the trouble so it's also quite a harrowing could be quite a harrowing sort of subject matter as well so um I read the first page sort of thinking oh I think I might not like this I don't might not buy it because um, it might be something that, uh, that I'm just just not going to read I think I'll wait till I can get it from the library and and then I just had to buy it because I read the first page. I just thought this is a fantastic you hooked book. Straight it away. just sort of really caught my imagination. And it's it is um, set in, as I say, the times of the real troubles in Ireland. But it's also a very very gritty and realistic. I mean, she's living an awful life, this girl. But it also has um, sort of sudden departures into surrealism as well as sort of really mad things that are, that are happening so I really enjoyed that and then more recent that's a sort of book that's really stood in my mind of ones that I've liked in recent years and then I've just read that new book um I can't remember the name of the author and I don't even quite not even quite sure how it's pronounced but I'm pronouncing it Piranesi right. and I think and that one the I think it was the Women's Prize for Fiction last year. And that's um, that's the sort of book that really captures your attention because it starts off as if it's going to be a complete fantasy, this um, man living in this weird labyrinth and cave system and things. And then as the novel carries on, you realise it isn't actually perhaps quite such a fantasy novel and it's got real touches of reality in it as well. And it's a sort of book where it's not over-explained and you're never absolutely sure what's going on. And you've got to fill in those spaces and have an opinion of your own, which is something that I really like. So that book can be your own, can't it? In a way, you can make it your own when those stories are like that. A lot of authors we talk to on the podcast do say that they read a lot and for pleasure, but they also read to just get new styles and new approaches and it, it gives different ideas and inspiration so I guess that's what you're doing maybe even though you're reading for pleasure you're probably picking these bits up that you can then put into your own work would you agree yeah yes I think there's a lot of that I mean I think um they always say there's sort of like a saying that for instance with writing poetry that if you don't read loads of 
poetry, you're never going to be a very good poet because you need to see what's going on and what other people are doing and how people are sort of stretching the boundaries of different forms and things as well. And I think it's the same with the novel, really. The more widely you can read um, novels, the better, really. And sometimes it's quite funny because sometimes I'll choose a book for that very reason that I'm thinking, oh, you know, this book seems to have a completely different structure. It's doing something new with what the novel is and I'll read it for that reason. And then other times I'll just read a novel for absolutely pure escapism. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, which we all need. And people find it in various ways, don't they? It might be poetry, books, films, music, you know, walking, painting, could be anything, but people need that, I think, for their own relaxation and escapism and grounding themselves yeah absolutely yes I mean I find that I do quite a lot of um, as well as reading and things I do quite a lot of walking I think like a lot of people I started doing more walking during yeah. the lockdowns and yeah didn't we all <laughs> <laughs> and I find that really really nice it's just nice to sort of like you say ground yourself isn't it and just sort of be out in the natural world as much as you can yeah just clear, it literally clears your mind doesn't it? It, it out in the don't know in all weathers getting a nice walk and clearing your head a bit I really like walking yeah yeah I, I it's interesting that you're saying all weathers because I think that's really true because I seem to particularly enjoy walking when it's a really windy day I just find it quite exciting I love to hear the leaves and things you know walk through yeah. a park and you can hear the leaves and the branches are swaying and yeah. the trees are getting almost knocked about by the yeah. wind and I just love that you can feel it in your face and when you get in you feel like you've literally blown things away I think I visually see like things getting blown away so I feel refreshed yeah yeah it does I'm sure it cleans your mind out does it and often I come back feeling quite inspired as if you know lots of problems and worries have flown out of my head and new things have actually flown in while I've been walking I as think well. I must be a visual learner because I physically see that happening I see all this like jumble coming out of my mind when I go for a walk <laughs> so what would you say is a really good piece of advice if anyone was looking into this type of uh, a career or avenue of looking at writing what what tips have you got well I suppose it's sort of tips on different levels to do with different aspects of writing so um I think the first thing is you know not to be frightened of an empty page <laughs> really and there's people that sort of get around that in all sorts of ways so that you know some people will sort of mess about with a page put a few drawings on it and things before yeah. they actually start so that it's not such a blank <laughs> page and just things like you know writing any thoughts that come into your head at all you know and I've sometimes sort of run workshops for um you know about writing and things and I always say to people whatever you write can't be wrong because it's something that you're creating yourself and no one can turn around, you know, if you've written a story or a poem, no one can say, say to you, that is wrong, because there's no wrongness about it. You know, it's just something that's come out of your head. It's your world that you've created. And whatever you, um, whatever you write, um, it's, it's something that's not existed before. So if you just sit down for 10 minutes with a blank piece of paper and write, a very very short story um then it's something you brought something into the world 
you know, you've birthed something that wasn't there before. You're a creator, you've created something. And that's a really exciting thing. And um, once you've written something, I mean, you can edit as well. I mean, ed editing, I think, is really, really important for me. Again, everyone writes slightly differently. And some people will really think things out before they put them on paper. But usually when I'm writing a poem or, or anything, I just sort of splurge. I just splurge loads of stuff out. And then it's getting rid of what isn't, you know, part of what I discover it needs to be. That's the really important thing. So people should never be frightened of putting pen to paper. Just see it as an exciting and fun thing, really. Do you think that builds with confidence that you have that confidence to be okay with what you've written down and it comes with a bit of experience as well to be comfortable with all of those splurges and then realize what you need to keep and what you do do you think that comes with a bit of confidence and time or yeah it does yeah I mean you, you sort of need to keep on with it really I mean I wasn't very good at editing I wasn't very good at knowing what bits I needed to lose to start off with and like I say, you know, that doesn't matter when you're a starting writer because you should just be proud of what you've written. And then it's a learning curve. You learn how you can, you know, not like I say, it's, there's nothing wrong with what you've already written, but you learn how to really, I see it as sort of really polishing it up so that it gleams and shines more and more. And I quite like, I know a lot of people really hate editing, but I quite like editing and um when Foolish Heroines was first accepted by Valley Press, um, which is um, a small, quite a small independent publisher that's based in Scarborough um, that accepted it, um, I then had to go through more. I felt like I'd edited it within an inch of its life, really, before <laughs> I sent it there. But of course, another really useful thing with writing is when you've got the confidence to do it is you know, give it to other people because you get so close to your own writing, you sometimes can't see. Yeah. You know, really simple things like you put the word and twice by yeah. mistake and that sort of thing. You just can't see it because you read what you want to think yeah. you've written. And um and Joe Haywood, my editor, she was fantastic. She'd sort of, you know, read the whole manuscript and put suggestions for changes and things, but she'd also make it a really enjoyable sort of lighter experience because she'd put funny little comments down the side as well like there was one um can't remember who it was but there's one it might have been Lily's nasty husband Ernest who was a really objectionable man and she put things like I hate him things <laughs> in the margin, which really made me laugh <laughs> you're getting the right response that you're aiming for but I guess it's hard for an editor to put kind of that's your baby isn't it and that's your piece of work and they've got to kind of put little hints and comments and suggestions in and I guess it's hard to sometimes take some of them sometimes and look at it and think well oh, do I want to put that in there or not is that what I want to do yeah yeah yes and I think um I mean I suppose it's every writer's dream to be published by you know a huge one of these huge publishing houses you know like Harper Collins and things because you know that they've got the money to um, yeah. you know really promote you and have you as a two for one in Waterstones and that sort of thing and everyone is going to know about you and it's going to be reviewed in the Guardian and the Telegraph and one thing and another whereas a small publisher like Valley Press they just don't have the money to do that and I mean a lot of the competitions like the Costa um, and the Booker publishers have to pay 
Well, I thought I was amazed when someone said it was about £10,000, but then someone else said it was £25,000 to be to submit a book into that or something. So, you know, obviously Valley Press don't have the money to do that sort of thing and small independent publishers don't. But what you do get is a really lovely relationship with an editor and things. And um, and me and Joe just sort of saw eye to eye and I was just really appreciative that she could see what I hadn't seen. And I just felt all along the way that it was becoming a better and better book because of what she was suggesting and things as well so it was a really positive experience so what do you feel you've got under your sleeve next what you're going to do well um I've got ideas for another book which I've actually started <laughs> on um Brilliant. and again it's the magic realist yeah book again and um so I'm working on that I've got to a point where I've sort of put it away again because sometimes you just get too close to things you need to put things away for quite a long time sometimes and then I'll get it out I've come to this got stage now where I'm thinking I'm going to get it out and have another another look at it really that's um, another good tip isn't it you can sometimes just put it away and shelve it for a bit and go back to it and you might have a different eye on it different yeah vision. yes yeah. I think I think that's that becomes quite an essential part, really. Whenever I'm writing poetry, I'll sometimes work on it, you know, changing a line here and a, changing a word there, you know, getting it out every day for a bit, for say a week or two weeks. And then I got to the point where I just can't see it objectively. And then it's best to put it away for at least a few days, or if you can, if you can, stop yourself meddling and getting it out <laughs> again. Um, you know, often two or three weeks with a, even just a small poem is quite good because it's weird how that you, then you look at it and you think, no, that's not the right word. Yeah. And you can see things so clearly. And it's the same, the same with a, a novel, really. I mean, I had really good advice um, from someone when I sort of got stuck with the novel. Um, it was in a period where I put it away because sort of things had changed with my own life. And I felt... I was writing it when I got it out again I felt as if I was almost a sort of slightly different person and that the novel wasn't mine anymore and how do I reconnect with it and, and yeah. develop it and I felt really stuck and someone said to me what you should do that doesn't matter it doesn't matter in fact that's quite a good thing what you need to do is imagine yourself walking along a beach and then you find a chest that's been washed up by the sea you open it up and inside is your manuscript but it's been written by a stranger. You haven't written it, it's a stranger, and you're now going to carry on with it from where it's been left off. And that really helped with my sort of writer's block. I could be engaged with it again then and often use that as a tip now. Thanks for listening. We're now available on all the major podcast platforms. Just search for Hull Libraries. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you can get all the latest episodes as soon as they're out. In the meantime, if you want to check out any of the services at Hull Libraries, please go to our website, hcandl.co.uk forward slash libraries. Or we also have channels on all the social medias, including Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.